everybody. It's episode 11, and we are at the playoffs. We are in the playoffs. We are at the playoffs. Yet another flawless intro on Canadian Puxedo. Joining me, as always, is a half-vaccinated man, Charles. Oh, Pitt. yeah. yeah. Hey, how are you? Any any symptoms? Do we need to... Uh, uh, actually... Uh, did you have Windows 98 installed in your brain or anything? I've, my, my Wi-Fi is a lot stronger. Uh, oh. No, so far, so far, I'm uh, best kind. Best kind. You heard it here first, kids. If you yeah. haven't heard a better reason to get vaccinated, Charles <laughs> says it's best kind. Best kind. Let a man who's know. rarely best kind feels best kind. <laughs> but always looks best kind. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We have Nick Nemiroff, Habs fan, comedian extraordinaire, coming on at the end of the show. So we are going to start with... Of course, the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> I was waiting for you to do <laughs> no, that. No, the Sens are dead. I do need to say the Sens have one less win than the Canadians, so that is something that should be said out loud on this podcast, and now it has. So we're doing the <laughs> Oilers and the Jets. Charles, uh, I would like to, in your brain, I would like to prepare a team who's going to win and a, the amount of games it's going to take them. And I'll do a 3-2-1, and we'll both say our answer in 3-2. Okay, okay ready? 3-2-1. Yep. One. Oilers and Oilers and six. Oh, oh we're close. Okay. We're close. I got six. Yeah, I got six. Where to where to start? I mean, I I am pumped for this series. It's kind of funny because I know that on paper, Canadians halves is the most exciting thing, but if we're looking just at this season, I think Leafs Oilers is more fun because of McDavid Matthews, and I think Leafs Jets is more fun because the J- the Jates and the Leafs <laughs> hate the each other's guts. Yeah, yeah the, the Nick Ehlers and Joe Thornton trying to murder each other in seven-game series would be, uh, be interesting. I don't know if we've seen anything in, in hockey like that in the last little while. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you start. Why have you got the Oilers coming out on top on this? I mean, it it starts and ends with with just McDavid. Uh, predominantly, I think it's funny because to me, this feels like Oilers versus Oilers light. Both of these teams kind of suck defensively. Both of these teams are incredible offensively and are very strong power play teams. Both of these teams have blue lines that would make me so goddamn nervous. I don't even know what to say. Actually, I would know what to say. I've had much experience with blue lines that are shoddy. But yeah, I just think it's, it's as you, you seem to like this term, two glass cannons shooting at each other. <laughs> and I think uh, one cannon is named Connor McDavid. Another is named Leon Dreisaitl. And while I have respect for the offensive abilities of Shifley, Connor, Ehlers, and co., I just don't think they're there. What about you? I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, uh, def- the like the two weaker defensive uh, systems of these teams. But on the Jets side, they got the ace in the hole for Connor Hellerbuck. However, how big of an ace in the hole when that's going up against Connor McDavid? And the Jets historically just have such a hard time clearing their own zone. So I can't imagine what's going to happen when you get hemmed in by the Oilers. Like I, I just I can't see it. I, honestly, I was thinking about spitting out five there, but I was like, ah, that's a hot take. You know, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't know if that's a hot take. I think that's possible. I think that these teams are not that evenly unmatched just because I think 
Winnipeg is a deeper team, in my opinion. Uh, they're forwards, especially. The thing is, with they have made the switch to be a two-line team. And do not get me wrong, Edmonton are a two-line team now. Uh, they're not a three- or a four-line team. But McDavid is playing with Cahoon and Pugliarvi. Uh, Dreisaitl has moved with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto. And that looks... Honestly, that's a fantastic top six. I think Cahoon is a, probably a third-line player, but next to McDavid, I think that he has shown that he can be an okay passenger. And let me say with this, my first prediction of the podcast. We're going to come out of this series with a lot of people who are going to be aware of just how effective of a player Jesse Pugliarvi has been this year because he has not quite had the results yet, but all the underlying numbers are there. He's been in the corners, like, just using his body in the exact type of compliment you want for McDavid. And I think people are going to know a lot more about this guy. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's a guy that they're going to need and especially Cahoon, like those guys, unfortunately, like I hate to say it, but they're going to have to play above their usual skill set that we've seen. If the Oilers do make short work of this, because like you said, like Cahoon is, typically a third line player but he's kind of held his own with McDavid and, and Pugliarvi in Edmonton has just been a story on its own like mm-hmm. he could have gotten a Masterton a nomination in my opinion if Mike Smith wasn't a thousand years old he'd be next on my list because each team has the nominated guy like I, I I'd like to see him do well in the playoffs I the other side of the coin is Paul Maurice does have a history of being Paul Maurice in the playoffs and his teams tend to go deep out of nowhere Mm -hmm. Uh, Carolina is the one I can think of, uh, well, I I shouldn't say in recent memory because it's like 20 years ago, but he he can string together a hot team in the playoffs. He's, he's a bit of a soundboard whiteboard kind of coach when it comes to the playoffs. So maybe you had a quote from Maurice you wanted to, you wanted to get. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we'll get to that when we queue up the Leafs, but essentially he is a quotable coach, and I think he does that on purpose, especially with the playoffs and stuff like that because it's kind of a motivating tool. He said going into the season closer for the Leafs that uh, there was a gentleman's agreement which uh, that it would be close to a no-hitter, and it was for like – I broke that game. I think I was the only guy that like watched this, but I broke that game into two segments. What's the, the gentleman's first agreement? Half, that there'd be like no hitting and it's kind of like a, you know, oh, yeah. Okay. Just in the a last wash. Like a, played against yeah. The yeah. There was a gentleman's agreement. And, and, and I, I literally not only watched this, but I rewatched this game because it was two games into one. Uh, the, the first game was when the gentleman's agreement was very much there and the Leafs went up two nothing. And then uh, it started to kind of fall apart. A few guys throw a hit. And then all of a sudden, the Jets score two goals and then there's no gentleman's agreement. So like 10 minutes left in the, the second period and like, we've got a hockey game on our hands and it was just kind of funny to see, you know, I, I hate to use the cliche like game within a game, but it was kind of funny to see that kind of thing. And I think it was very important for the Jets to end the season on a winning note, which they did. I think they won two in a row actually. So because they had a pretty bad May. And that's you know. The, oh, they fell off. They they yeah. Because the the Canadians did too. It's uh, the the two the two bottom seeded teams in these in the North Division hmm. have really slumped into the last part of this season, and it's been quite interesting to see. I think there's the Maurice is one side now. Dave Tippett is another, 
because I think every hockey fan is very familiar with the feeling of having a a coach who just won't one won't play the optimal you know selection of players. I think there's some frustration with that with Oilers fans, and two has a player that is just getting caved in that he can't stop using that guy would be Devin Shore right now Devin Shore has been playing pretty consistently uh, for the Oilers and his results have been atrocious and there's other guys there who are coming in like I'm looking at for instance Edmonton a team has surely lacking depth why are why is Tyler Ennis not in there and I know Kyle Turris has been bad but that's not been good, but he hasn't been good either, I mean. But, like, in the playoffs, he's, he's you know, he is a vet who's had great playoff results in the, in the past. Why don't you have those guys who can just give you a little more, even if he can't do it all at the time? I think that's fair to ask, especially with the – I think Tyler Ennis for sure, and uh, maybe to an extent, I, I don't know the – temperature the room temperature on on Kyle Turris in 2021 compared to like Kyle Turris that would have been five or six seasons ago but I I think both of those guys likely have more tools in the toolbox than Shore make no mistake Uh, he he, Turris has been bad but Shore has a 38.8 Corsi four at five 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 on five this year that is like historically bad yeah like but there's just like as, as long as there's been coaches and as long as there's been the NHL, there's just been coaches that have their guy. And uh, it seems like he's just that guy. Like uh, we went through it with Mike Babcock in Toronto. Like he, he had, he had his guys and it didn't matter if it was, you know, you were down by a goal and there was an extra attacker coming out. You're leaving some of the highest talent on the bench and Pat yep. Marlowe or, or, or who, you know, or, or Komarov is going out over the boards and Oh, totally. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it's, I, if that's your most frustrating thing about a coach though, is like who's rounding up the fourth line in Edmonton. It's not a dire straight situation. I think See, I would argue that it is though, because you have two lines that can score and then you're getting the rest of your team is getting fucking caved in constantly. The only saving grace on Tippett's end is Tippett does one thing very well, which is that while he has split up McDavid and dry he does do some things, which is that I was listening to Mike Johnson's analysis on this. Mike Johnson was like, okay, so at the end of the period, right before they get a break, he'll put them out together after a penalty kill. He'll put them out together. So he is doing a good job at getting Connor McDavid and dry out there. And frankly, that's really the end of it. Can they have a difference? Because not only did McDavid shred the whole fucking league because he did at a rate that was, has not been seen since, <laughs> I don't know, like, before sticks bent. <laughs> I, think but, 90, I think 95 Lemieux. I think he's yeah. – yeah, I think it's – yeah, I think that's Wooden the stick year. times. And he has – like not only has he shredded the league, but he shredded the Jets specifically. I got some stats here that he's done uh, against the Jets specifically here that came from an article that you sent me, actually, Charles. Oh. Look at me doing the reading you're assigning me. Um, <laughs> you, you sent me, but McDavid – playing against the Jets specifically has been fucking crazy. I think he has, he played nine games. I think he's got nine goals and 15 assists. That's almost three points a game plus five penalty differential, 68% expected goals. The, if the Jets can't find a way 
they're in a lot of trouble. It reminds me, like, I, I can't remember what year it was, but it was uh, Crosby and Giroux faced off in the first round. Mm-hmm. And they had such an outing that, like, the playoffs were going into the third round and the boys were still one and two in points. I think we're in for that type of series. I think it's just going to be, like, on the Jets side, I can see uh, either Kyle Connor or uh, Nick Ehlers putting up a lot of goals and a lot of numbers for them. Like, I can see those being the guys that kind of carry the mail. Yeah. Um, I know Paul Stasny and Blake Wheeler are real banged up. Like, those guys are held together by tape and chewing gum at this point. So I don't know if that's going to be – like all, all these things kind of add up, uh, especially given the you know the Jets had that terrible run in May. How many guys are playing kind of hurt and gassed over there? Well, I mean, I, I think when well, as soon as Ehlers went out, you're like, oh, that's the guy on this team. It became abundantly yeah. clear, and that's the problem yeah. with the way that the Winnipeg is built is like. Shifley, Connor, Wheeler, are they going to put up points? Yes, those guys on the power play are awesome. Those guys, none of them can defend worth a lick. And that's what I was saying when I was saying that that's the Oilers light. Like they're doing the same thing, except McDavid, as we discussed in previous podcasts, has become a solid defensive player. You know, what's, you know, what's funny. We've been on the Oilers and, and, and and the Jets here for, I don't know, 10 minutes now. And neither one of us have brought up Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah. Like, what do you think? Neither one of us. And, and, well, we've seen firsthand how frustrating he can be in a playoff yeah, series. A different, yeah, and, and so, a difference maker. Maybe that, that adds the sixth game. Yeah, maybe that's that's what burns me. He he himself adds the sixth game on onto this matchup. This is a thing because we we keep thinking about you know there's all these things that we've discussed on the podcast. The difference between what makes a good story and what is predictive of things happening in the future. Now that series against the Jackets, we are deeply sad about because it's who we are as men. But really, it is five games after a two month break that we really took for serious. And for me, I had this thing in my mind that I'm like Pierre Luc Dubois. I mean. Maybe he's not having a great season, but man, does that guy turn it on the playoffs. And like, does he? Or did he have one good series in an empty arena against the Leafs and then do nothing really in the next round? It's a genuine question. I'm not sure. But I think he looked he's the kind of guy that he's the kind of guy that if he gets going, he can tilt it. Mm, I, I agree. And that's I just thought it was funny how neither one of us brought him up. I think ultimately I'm gonna stick with Oilers and five, and it comes down to the only way it goes to a Oilers and six for me uh, is is if Mike Smith kind of falls back mm-hmm. to earth and starts playing like a 41, 41 or 42-year-old man. I know, but man, we I don't think either of us like Mike Smith. I think he drives both of us crazy. But I've said all year that the thing is, like this could be the make that you'd think that this is the McDavid Dreisaitl versus Hellebuck show. Because yeah. you looked at the at the Canadian division this year, and unless you're attached to an old version of Carey Price, the goalie in this division is Connor Hellebuck. There's no way around oh, yeah. that. He's a perennial Vesna guy, and he has been for like three years. He's incredible. But Mike Smith this year has been just a, a nip behind to the point that I think that the goaltending this year has been negligible. 
I will say our producer gave us a note that the Pierre Luc Dubois was points per game in the playoffs last year, ten points in ten games. So I'm yeah, wrong. He did, to say he that did he well. Didn't. He did well in that Tampa series. I know he played like that one that went to five overtimes. He played like nearly a full fucking game of hockey. Like he nearly played. But he hasn't minutes. been the guy in Winnipeg at all. He's been playing at like a like a third liner. To be honest, that's the value that he's been he's been given out. And it's like all the all this year we we've been debating like who's going to win this trade. Uh, is it going to be Columbus? Because it's one of those teams that you're like, these guys just need a change of scenery, and then they'll both win the trade. It's like, this is at a risk of neither of these teams winning the trade. Fans who love chaos won that trade. Yes, <laughs> so well, there's us. And you know what? Yeah. This is a prediction. Another one, I bet we're going to eat our words on Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm excited to see it. But he's uh, he's got to – if they find Nick Ehler some more minutes, depending on his health – Going down the line, too, like the Jets have that Lowry Cop Appleton line, and they that is a genuinely strong defensive line. Like the third line in Edmonton right now is James Neal, Chason, and uh, I can't remember the third guy on it. I'm sorry. I, I can't off the top of my head, but like it's not. I think it might be Archibald. Anyway, the point is, like, that bottom six in Edmonton, the bottom six in, in Winnipeg is, is way, way better. Edmonton also has uh, – they've got Perot on the fourth line. Like, they've got some depth there that Edmonton just does not have. Uh, Edmonton's got two, like, sneaky, dirty players on that third line, though, like James Neal and uh, Josh Archibald. Yeah, I would say that Josh Archibald only sneaks by it because he sounds like a fancy rich boy uh, who is is a philanthropist. And I don't think that anyone thinks James Neal's sneaky dirty. I think he's like the dirtiest player in in the Okay, so he's lost. You think he's he's lost like the uh, sneaky title to he's just dirty I just remember when the Penguins were going out a few years back and it was abundantly clear and he was on the ice just literally trying to hurt people. It was so abundantly clear. And I was like, this guy is seeing red. That said, if they let him get away with it, it's the kind of dirty that in the playoffs – he yeah. could be he could be a factor if he can turn he's, back the clock is, a little bit. Yeah, he's he's that's the one thing I always kind of look for with him in the line. I was like, oh, is he gonna just kind of do something that hurts someone and or kind of slowing down the tape? And it's like, oh, it's an unfortunate play. And then I'm just like, oh man, that guy's like Dexter of hockey injuries. He's just a fucking sicko. <laughs> It's like he's watching that Matt Cook Eric Carlson thing over and over again. He's like, hmm, I see, I see. <laughs> Let's talk about the blue lines a little bit because you said something interesting, which I think is right. Uh, You said that you don't like the cycle. You don't like the idea of Winnipeg defending on the cycle. And I agree. But what I don't like even more than that, Winnipeg statistically is the worst team at defending their own blue line and entries in the league. Now, Winnipeg, historically this year, their top six is more likely to give forward space to enter the zone and cave in and cover the net. And I can't imagine a worse team to take on that type of strategy that than Connor McDavid. Like you're they're gonna get blown by. The Jets blue line, I think the Oilers win that uh, win that race there. Like Josh Morrissey's gonna be playing 25 minutes. Josh Morrissey is overrated. I, he's got the worst expected goals on the entire team. Fifth worst among Leafs defensemen. That's from Domo Shizhen in the homework you gave me today. Thank you for doing your homework. You're welcome, baby. Um, I, I, another thing on that is if you're collapsing to the net, in the playoffs there's an increase in, in ugly goals. That's like there's an increase in ugly 
garbage goals. And if you're collapsing to the net, how, how many of those are going to go off Logan Stanley's ass and past Connor Hellebuck? You know, you know what I mean? Like, I Always don't think that's a, I, I, maybe they do change it up and they've had a couple of days here to do the tape and the video coaching, but if you're going to let them just walk in the zone, I'm Jesus. I can't think of a worse team. I literally cannot think even include the American teams here. I can't think of a worse team to just let walk into your zone than Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. Well, Edmonton went out and got Kulikov, uh, who has been a sneaky good ad for them and has shored up their blue line a little bit. Darnell Nurse is playing at a pretty exceptional rate, but he's also playing with Tyson Berry, who, as we know, glass cannon. Uh, <laughs> so you're kind of, they have a couple here, but they also have Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, both of which having good results and, but not getting a ton of minutes. So both these teams have something in common, which is that they have defense. They have their teams who seem to be having a hard time evaluating their own blue lines and knowing who to get out there and who not. Like, I think Neil Pionk has proved himself as the best D on that yeah. blue line, on the, uh, on the Jets blue line. And uh, Morrissey is still eating those minutes. I mean, with DeMello, who is solid. But, I mean, the Jets not making a defense buy besides Jamie uh, Jordy Ben, I think they're going to be deeply regretting that. Yeah, and it was confirmed after that they kind of went in all in on uh, Jamie Alexiak and the Stars wouldn't part with him in the hopes that they made the playoffs. If they were to add him, that blue line looks much, much, much better than what it is now. Um, I think that's going to be the, the, the tell of it. Like I said, I, I trust Edmonton's, and they're going to continue to shelter uh, Bear and uh, Caleb Jones over there, I think. so. But they don't need to, man. I don't think they do either, but I think that's just kind of the – I mean, that's kind of the coach. Any coaches have to lose this thing that just because a guy's 22, 23 years old doesn't mean he can't play. Like, historically, that's when athletes peak. Coaches yeah. are wasting the best years of players' I, careers because they won't fucking play them. I fully agree. And how much with- of that – how much of that do you think stems from the fact that when somebody uh, makes a mistake when they're 22 and 23 – it's in the news cycle. It's on all the highlight shows, and they always bring up the fact that he's twenty two, twenty three. Whereas well, Shea Weber, or uh, let's say Shea Weber, or somebody, or Morgan Riley, or uh, Tyson Berry makes that same mistake, the same game probably, and it's just not in the highlight pack because yep. they're not twenty two, twenty three. I years think old. people are fundamentally uncomfortable with defensemen making mistakes, and the reality that that is an enormous part of hockey, and always will be if you're handling the puck in that part of the zone you're going to get burned sometimes and yeah. i do think that you talk about the eye test versus analytics i think that's one point where you can be like because you're going to remember a mistake that a guy made but if you look at it and you're like th- that guy makes that play nine chances out of ten that looks real good jake gardner our, yeah, our, our producer yeah. just jake gardner has entered the chat more or less and yeah that's <laughs> And well, he's having a whale of a, he's having a whale of a, a season in, in Carolina. I mean. He's a Jake Jake Garner's a quality defenseman. He did, he's, he's done, done some things that I cannot get off the inside of my eyelids. But overall, he's a good player who was asked to do too much in Toronto. Let's get to the fucking leaps, baby, and the Habs. Also, there's another team in that yeah. series. All right, same deal, Charles. Same game. We are going to do uh, right. who's going to win this series and the amount of games uh, on the count of three. Yep. Wait, hang on. Okay, got it. One, two, three. Leafs and six. Leafs and five. 
Oh, Charles, look, we're consistent. I just yeah, think series yeah, yeah. are longer than you do. I Look, this Leafs team has the ability, the skill, the personnel to wrap this up. They, sh- they should and can be able to wrap this up in five games. I know hockey is a fucking game that's played on ice with a puck and knives on your feet. Next so boots. maybe, yeah, maybe someone like maybe I'll eat these words, but I I feel that and and Leafs fans in the first round, we, we were all fucking plagued with this like first round shell shock. Uh, I myself uh, tend to fear for the worse but after watching you know this season if they don't wrap this series up i don't know man like the fucking something's gonna change like let's get to what may or may not change after something happens i think right. uh, we have uh, we will have time for post-mortem or maybe we won't but uh, for now, let's stay focused on what is happening now. In terms of what's going to change, I think it's fucking deck chairs, man. I think it's the supporting cast, and it will go. The thing about last year, people always say this, and people always say shit like this because it's a real, like, it's something your uncle says at a party. He's like, the Leafs always lose in the first round. Never mind, we're not going to talk about that half the team is different. You take <laughs> your, your blue line that once had Tyson Berry and Cody Cece, who has been good this year, and you yeah, replace him oh, with Zach Bogosian or Sandine and uh, TJ Brody, Brody, who's been incredible. Then yeah. you take the fact that all these players have aged a year and have gotten more mature, and then you have guys like Spezza and Thornton who have that leadership, if that means something. This is a different team. I think, don't get me wrong, I'm haunted by the same things everyone else is. But does that mean that the same thing is going to happen? It does not. And even, I don't know. Even if, like, you know what? Even if the Leafs lose in four, I'm still not causing for large-scale chances. Changes based on what they did in the season because I think that they have proved it. Tampa lost 4 nothing to Columbus in the playoffs in the first round. Yeah. They didn't lose their yeah. shit. They won the cup last year. You don't need to overreact to things just because Uncle Dave thinks you need to. Sometimes shit just happens. And the difference between Alexander Ovechkin being a playoff bust who can't perform anytime after the regular season and the Caps being a bunch of regular season guys and Alexander Ovechkin being drunk off his ass in a fountain is a run of good luck. That's all. They faced, they faced elimination. Uh, the, the, that Caps team faced elimination, I believe, in every series besides the Stanley Cup final, which is a stat. Like they, they were in a Game 7 situation in the first round, and they were on their face clawed back to Game 7 as well against Columbus. Um, I, I always go back to that Capitals team because that was something that was kind of a, a, a proving point uh, for Alexander Ovechkin's legacy. So I would love to see it in Toronto. He did it when he was 30, by the way, so buckle up. Yeah. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and one could argue that that Caps team that did it was far worse than the Caps team that they iced two seasons ago and a little bit worse than the Caps season uh, Agreed, that they iced 100%. Two years ago. Like, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. But the temperature gets turned up a lot more in a city like Toronto than it does in Washington. And that's, that's the other, you know, like I can see Larry Tannenbaum, uh, who was a friend of the show, actually, Larry Tannenbaum. Enemy I can see Bob, him doing the show. 
enemy of the pod, friend of the show. I guess see Larry Tannenbaum doing kind of like what the, a, a James Dolan thing in New York recently, where he, he's like, you know, you're you can't. And it, if they were, and I think we're just kicking ourselves in circles here for no points, so we should get off it. But if yeah, they were we to lose to the Habs, like that's going to be a fucking summer's worth of talk radio that like Larry Tannenbaum either has to go in hiding at his cottage in Muskoka or... Oh, I'm going, if that happens, I'm going full Babcock. I'm fucking listening to the hunting channel in my country music. <laughs> That's, I don't even, I'm not even dealing with it. Let's talk about the players that are playing, though. Yeah. Because people yeah. talk about Montreal as if they're this great matchup for the Leafs, and in some senses, they are. And I think, with the, you know, they have Philip Deneau, who is one of the best defensive centers in the league and who does pretty well against... Austin Matthews and has they have been able to shut down Tavares and Nylander on track. I here. think they're going to be okay. So, uh, but I mean, it's there, there's a chance that shit doesn't happen the wrong way. I think it's going to come down to goaltending. I really do. Nah, no, I don't think it's going to come down to goaltending. But I think th- there's a very it's very possible that it's a goalie we're talking about at the end of this series. That's possible. That that kind of frightens me too. Um, but I mean, seventeen two and two. I think is uh, Jack Campbell's record this season. Is it Jack that? Campbell's been fantastic. I think this could happen on either end. Genuinely, I really do. Yeah, I'm just saying that uh, both Carey Price and Jake Allen have been great goalies. I think there's some interesting stuff going on on the fringes of the Leafs lineup, though, in terms of who is not playing right now. Yeah, so Jack Campbell is a confirmed too. starter. That has never been a controversy. That's why I'm so glad that no, you know, we never even bought into that. Of course, it's him. He has earned it. He's been incredible. Weird shit is happening though. Maybe not weird, but just worth discussion. Riley Nash coming in on the third line with Mikheyev and Kerfoot. Then you have your your bottom line is Thornton, Spetsad, Simmons, and of course you have Hyman, Matthews, Marner, and Felino, T- Tavares, and Nylander. That leaves Galchenyuk and Engvall. Where are you at on these Leaf? Uh, on these leaf line combos and let's go a bit rapid just so we can get to Nick. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not, uh, I'm not too fond of the Felino Tavares and uh, Nylander line. They didn't gel the last two games of the season that they played together. I'm a big fan of having Alex Galchenyuk there because nothing motivates someone like vengeance. <laughs> Every time he's squared off against the Habs this year, he's been shot out of a cannon and out for vengeance. And I, and I also like the idea of having Zach Hyman in that third line where you can flip-flop with Felino, You can put Felino on the top line or you can put Felino on the third line. Zach Hyman had a great stretch on the, I think they called it the meh line, which was Hyman, Engvall, and uh, Mikheyev yeah. earlier in the season. I think Riley Nash is an upgrade on Kerfoot. Uh, no, dude. I think he's, he's definitely a better an upgrade defensive on, player, but he's, he's, he's an upgrade on Engvall, sorry. Engvall, sorry, not Kerfoot. I, I think, think yeah, Engvall. although Engvall's speed, I think, might be worth something at some point during the playoffs, and I don't know about sacrificing that. The thing about Riley Nash is Riley Nash is a genuinely elite defensive player, a borderline useless offensive player. The biggest thing is, I'm not saying there's not room for a player life like that in, in your lineup, because there is. I would argue Nick Felino is basically that as well, except not useless offensively, but nor elite defensively. So a little bit. The thing is, I don't know. I don't. I think Hyman on that top line, I do like just because that line has been like literally the second best line in the NHL this year. Uh, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you've got to 
fucking cement Hyman to that third line. I'm just saying you start with 71, 34, 16, and 11, whatever number Riley Nash is playing, and Mikheyev, and then you could you could alternate the two. I just like Galchenyuk on that second line. I felt he did very good job driving play. They're talking about his... He's a poor defensive player, though, and it yeah. has shown. And that, <laughs> the thing is, like, not that Nylander... I don't think Nylander is as bad as your Uncle Jeff thinks at D, <laughs> uh, but he is certainly not going to win a Selkie. And I think that having Galchenyuk in one of those top two lines is a little bit riskier. I think, too, Pierre Engvall coming in here, he has four goals in five games. I know that he's been done nothing all year, but, I mean, that got a kind of sting for him coming out there for Nash, a guy who hasn't even played. Yeah, I got, I got to tell you on the Pierre Engvall thing, though, I'm a very superstitious man, and Pierre Engvall only scores in very cursed games. Okay, Charles, we got five minutes left. So let's, stay, let's keep one foot in reality here, if you don't mind. <laughs> We can't, we can't be wasting time on he only scur- scores in cursed games. That sounds like a Harry Potter novel. Where are we at Sandine game. in the top power play? Zach Bogosian was cleared medically today uh, to, oh, to no. return to play. Yeah, so I don't know who comes out, if it's Sandine or if it's Dermot. Or Bogosian. I think, or Bogosian. I think that's going to depend. I mean, we're recording this on Monday. That's going to depend what practice looks like. Uh, Keith did admit the only reason Sandine was held out of the lineup for the last four games was complete cap stuff. He just said, like, no, this is a cap move, nothing else, don't read anything into it. So I, I, I don't know. We'll see how the, the lines progress uh, the rest of the week in practice. There's still three days uh, until... This is until looks like these done. are the lines, man. This is uh, basically, this looks like what it is. I think if Bogosian's coming in... If he's not 100%, I'm not putting it. I think if he's healthy, I think I squeeze him in over Dermot. I don't think that's as far of a disconnect as some people think. But if he's not fully healthy, I'm letting him rest just a little longer, and I'm letting Dermot shore up that bottom of that core. Yeah, there there is a team, and I think, like, not to discredit what Zach Bogosian has played all year, he's been great, but there is a team. He has been solid, but I think there is a team that you would rather a Sandine back there than a Bogosian, and Montreal, to me, is that team. Uh, if we were squaring up against the Jets, I would rather Bogosian back there than Sandine, which I think might be a, a – if they're, if they're fucking hammered on going with Dermot, ideally Sandine and, and Bogosian would be a pair, so flip-flop the two. If we were going against the Jets, I could see the case of making room for – Zach Bogosian at 60%, 70%, wherever he's hovering around at. But uh, I'll tell you another Matt's thing, too, man. If I'm first in the North Division and I have a winning record against all these teams, I'm not matching up for no one, man. I'm showing you my lineup. You match up to me. You fucking you, – oh, yeah. they made their stamp this season. I think that you can obviously tinker when you get in there, but I think Sheldon Keefe has a bit of mad scientist in him, which I do prefer Mike Babco- to Mike Babcock's, like – I made up the lines on a napkin in August, and that's what they're going to be. I've only but ever tasted last year, like when they're in, the, they're in that that deciding game against Columbus, and he's throwing together that super line with uh, Tavares and Marner mm. and Matthews for the first time, really, and then playing Nylander as center for the first time. It's like this is wild, and I don't want this guy. I want him thinking, but I don't want him overthinking. I don't, and, and I'm gonna I'll put this in writing. I don't. Well, I, I, I'm a big William Nylander guy. I don't line up with, you know, my Uncle Frank on this. Big William Nylander guy. I never want to see him play center again. 
never want to see him play center again. Oh, I don't have that opinion, but I would like him yeah. to – I think if you give him 20 games in the, in the season, he could figure it out. But I don't no. think – I think the thing with Kerfoot is Kerfoot is a one of our stronger penalty killers, and I think that that is something to be seen. But if, you, if you brought in Riley Nash to be the suppression guy – Yeah. You, yeah that's, that's, I, that, that's just my case for putting Galchenyuk in the lineup. I just feel – and you said it earlier in the show, like we cheer for the story rather than what the numbers say. So I could look like a jackass going right into what the story could be. But I just feel that every time we've squared up against Montreal, Alex Galchenyuk has stuck out. And uh, I, I don't know why we would throw that away by choice. I don't know if that's I mean, eye test. I don't like Nash coming in if he's not fully healthy. I would sooner – I don't know if I'd rather see Galchenyuk on a sheltered line, but uh, – I don't know. I think this is – I'm excited. I feel pretty good. We'll be back next Monday, and I will be fucking scared shitless uh, until – Next Monday, it's what, two games into the series next Monday? Yes, but for now, we're going to bring the enemy out of the podcast uh, <laughs> because I'm revealing myself to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan for the first time on our 11th episode. And please welcome <laughs> – please welcome a uh, very funny comedian. He's nominated for a Juno this year, Nick Nemirov. <laughs> So, Nick, uh, we have had a guest on of every fan of every team, and we saved the Montreal Canadiens for last because I started having the feeling that it was going to be a Leafs-Habs playoff matchup, and it's going to happen. How are you feeling? I am so excited, and also I can't imagine anything worse than losing to the Leafs in the playoffs and going online throughout the series. I'm worried about that myself. Yeah, I really am. I think it's a feeling, a mutual feeling that we both have of <laughs> online will be intolerable one way or another. Have yeah. either of you made any plans? Like, have either of you made any plans to like limit or mute certain accounts or anything like that? No, Ooh, you're I'm kind in. of a masochist when it comes to that. I <laughs> really, and, and I go the other way too, where I really indulge if the Habs beat the Leafs or something like that. Ooh, I'll just okay. like watch the highlights, share the highlights in my story, retweet Cole Caulfield's over, overtime winner. Oh, yeah. And then, we were talking about that when that, when that happened. I, I do the same thing sometimes, especially if I've had a couple drinks. I'll just <laughs> I'll start retweeting spicy stuff. Yeah, I think that has that. a direct effect on, uh, <laughs> on pettiness or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, arguably not a personality enhancer, I'm, I'm relatively <laughs> sure. It's kind of weird because, like, Nick, I think that you probably are in the same situation that I am in where – not and actually even more so because i think you have more people in america who are into your stand-up but most people who follow you probably don't care about hockey that much so there's (laughs) large portions of the year that i'm really alienating everyone on my twitter do you have any uh does that ring true with you at all it definitely does ring true but i also want to say that i don't care uh if those people don't like it (laughs) and it really just does make me happy to uh be a little kid in my head and be so happy that the habs win or the habs beat the leafs and you know i don't care if i do a couple of retweets that (laughs) get no likes or some unfollows or whatever oh yeah Mm -hmm. i it's a good question oh go ahead charles uh nick i've got a question for you so you said like you can't imagine anything worse than losing to the leafs you would have seen the Habs beat the Boston Bruins in the playoffs fairly recently. 
How does that rank event going up against the Leafs? This is the first time this has happened in like 42 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leafs are another level. Leafs are the okay. rival. Leafs are the most frustrating team to play, even in a meaningless regular season game. Bruins are number two, I would say, but it's like, you know, the gap between them is, is pretty large. And uh, yeah, they have to play the Bruins in so many playoffs since I've been a fan. And uh, I mean, same with the Leafs and the Bruins, I guess. But the, uh, uh, yeah, it would, it's, it's just annoying as hell to think about them losing to the Leafs and then knowing that certain people will be happy <laughs> living in <laughs> living in Toronto as well where I do right now is uh would just be annoying I guess yeah there's a certain amount of it's hard to say because I did want this <laughs> but the risk of devastation is so high that it's like last year we lost to the blue jackets and it hurt and that was before the playoffs s- my soul but there was no Blue Jackets fans around here. Like, <laughs> of course, my Blue Jackets did it. I didn't hear from a single actual human being. Yeah. I think I even if like, you lived in Columbus, that would be the case. <laughs> yeah, for sure. People would be like, do you like the National? And I'd be like, yes. <laughs> um, but where are you at? Like, okay, so just we've, we've, we've talked about a couple things that have come up. One, I think that thing that you just said, you want to feel like a little kid in your head. I think that we've kind of nailed down that's what we like about hockey is like that weird inner child connection. Mm -hmm. The second thing is where does this season rank in terms of fun for you? Because we're kind of balancing like there's no fans and that sucks, but without it, there's no true marker of time or anything on the calendar. So I'm grateful for it in that sense. And I can't figure out where I'm leaning in which direction more. Yeah. I would fucking love not even to, you know, to go to the game would be a dream come true, but to just have those arenas packed, you know, both for Toronto and Montreal, like it's going to be hard not to think of that throughout this entire series of just how much more fun that would be. But this season in particular, I honestly, I guess, aside from Caulfield's debut, that was kind of the highlight so far and the 10 game start that the Habs had where they were really good, but it's more of a I think in the long run I don't know if I'll aside from the COVID scenario remember this season very much in Mm -hmm. the yeah you know they were barely squeaked into the playoffs hopefully they can create some upsets and stuff but it's hard to think of this as like a long memory that I'll have of the team yeah Mm -hmm. unless that's the thing (laughs) something happens it is always truly like you know the biggest Habs memories I have are like the Halak year where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and then the other Eastern Conference Finals year with uh, Price against the Rangers and Chris Kreider injured him in game one or two and uh, but yeah that was all just based on playoff success and the excitement that that causes in Montreal. Yeah, there's a certain amount of that's. I was just saying that because I remember the Halak year. I remember my roommates were were Habs fans at that point, and we were like 20, so we had nothing else going on in our lives. And I was, <laughs> I don't think hockey has been at the forefront as much as it was then. Right. I was in but, Montreal for that game seven. I couldn't get tickets. The uh, oh, the Pittsburgh uh, or Washington? 
Sorry, no, I was there the year after uh, the Boston one. Yeah, I was oh. there. Uh, that was yeah, I was there 2011, which was the Boston one, and uh, it was either Game Six or Game Seven of Montreal. I can't remember. It was like the last game of the series in Montreal, and that city, everything was about hockey. Everything. Like, I was there yeah. for a concert that was like two nights before, but everywhere you went, everything was about the Habs. And like, people make those jokes about the cars with the flags on them. Oh yeah, everywhere. Those are oh, fucking just... a hot seller during the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely everywhere. Like uh, diplomatic cars from from the federal government just had them on there. It's like fuck it. Yeah, I do think having lived in Montreal for twenty years, growing up there, and then moving to Toronto in twenty ten, and living here basically since then, I do think the what it means to the city. I think Montreal Canadians probably mean more than the Maple Leafs do to Toronto. And I think it's also just like, there's nothing else, you know, there <laughs> in terms of have, like a cultural sports team. Have you been to both rinks? Yes, except the ACC or the Scotiabank, is it called now? Yeah. I went when I was like, I don't know, a teenager. Cause my mom was working in Toronto and like from her company, she got tickets to, some game but that was kind of my only uh, memory of the of the toronto games but i've been to a bunch of fabs games at the bell center but the bell center is insane like i have been to a bunch of leafs games or i don't know like probably five but a late season game when crosby is in town is not as hype at the acc as a meaningless habs senators game i saw last year when both teams were bad yeah it is such a fun thing to do and i that's again the same thing of like imagining that caulfield overtime winner on a saturday night in montreal in overtime and just fucking no one being there is so and just wanting it for him to have that experience and all the new guys to foley and anderson and stuff who i think would be huge fan favorites you know oh yeah to foley my god he's insane yeah does not so about Caulfield, we should talk yeah. about this because he's not slated to play right now. Oh, at this, that's point. what it looks like. Yeah, Ducharme said somebody, a journalist, I thought kind of bravely asked him. They said this team needs scoring. Uh, is there any reason that Caulfield is not going in? He said this team doesn't need scoring; it needs experience. That's a direct quote, and that <laughs> your face. I hate that. I yeah. actually, this should be a video podcast just for your facial expression, then and all. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff in hockey that always frustrates me. It's just always kind of stuck in its own way. <laughs> and you believe wanted, it, though. I, I believe that Caulfield won't play the first game. I, I don't, don't for a second, see? I don't for a second. Oh, you, think you, think he's, you think he's messing with the Leafs? I think this is gamesmanship because it's, it's Ducharme's first playoff. And he even said, like, Two things, two things after media scrums after. He's like, don't read too much into the practice lines. I think it's all a game. I think he's going to be there. I would fucking be so happy if that happens. I haven't seen enough from Ducharme to like, you know, think that he's that uh, trying to play games or whatever. But that would be great. I hope that's what happens. I that think would this, be insane. Yeah, it would be pretty unexpected. I think they're going to play game one, see what happens. And then I think if they lose, and especially if they lose with like a goal or shutout or a couple goals, like they'll put in Caulfield the next game. Mm-hmm. But Kakanyemi right now is not supposed to play either. 
So that, right yeah. now the fourth line is looking like and I mean it's weird with Montreal because like I think there, if there's one advantage that uh, Montreal has over Toronto I, I think it's the depth of the lines. Yeah, like Toronto I think has two first lines and Montreal mm-hmm. kind of feels like they have like four second lines in a way. Yeah, I'd say maybe three second lines and one third line. <laughs> well, we'll talk about I guess the third line would be Eric Stahl who has been not good at all is slated to play. I guess you trade for a guy. You got to put him in him, Corey Perry, who I'm sure I'm going to hate more than any other human being by the time this series is over. And Josh Anderson. So I I don't know. I guess like, where are you at now? Um, Like not having cock and Yemi or, uh, or Caulfield in. Caulfield to me at this point is a little bit more egregious because he has really been scoring these last, you know, five games, 10 games, whatever he's played. And just seeing him on the ice, he's just like sort of so clearly a difference maker when he has the puck. Uh, Yemi has not been very good recently, so I kind of understand that more. I would love for him to get in. Eric Stolf thankfully he's been playing a little bit better these last the last handful of games in the season so maybe that is why he's leaning that way as well but uh i i would have the young guys in just to at least have like speed and competitiveness and kukinyemi in the playoffs last year was really strong and would love to you know i think he ramps up his game when it, when it comes to that so Hoping. If you if you were picking your top, I guess if you're picking your top twelve Canadians forwards, do you have those guys in? And if so, who would you take out? I would 100 percent have Caulfield in. I would probably have Cut Kanyemi in. I would take out Stahl, and it depends if like yeah, Lekkinen, Byron, or Armia are the guys that I also would either swap out for Cut Kanyemi, you know, but. In the playoffs, again, those guys, Lekkanen always raises his game in the playoffs, and Byron's so fast, and so, when he's on his game, he's fucking good and, and hard to contain and good on the PK and all that important stuff. Armia's also, I, kind, I find, kind of streaky. He's big, and he has really, really good hands, which in the playoffs is obviously great, but I don't know. I just feel like you want Kokinemi, you want Suzuki, you want, Caulfield, especially to just get these reps as young guys. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, yeah, they played, they proved they could play in it last year. Caulfield not, but the other two. Uh, yeah, wish they were in. Same question on the D. Who's your top six? It's crazy. I think they've played better without Weber, but yeah, he wow. kind of has to, That that's when we're like, okay, I understand why he's playing, you know, captain, mm-hmm. playoffs, maybe he'll also raise his game. I th- the only thing I would change, I just have the back end. I kind of, Romanov's fallen off a bit. I wouldn't mind if it was like Kulak and Merrill. Because I do like John Merrill quite a lot, who they got in the around the trade deadline. And then Kulak is kind of a weird defenseman because they never play him on the PK or the power play. And he just kind of roams out there as the fifth or sixth man. But again, last year in the playoffs, he was great. And I think with Weber, Sherratt, Petrie, Edmondson, those four are locked in. And then you can have some, yeah, you can kind of play around with the back two, and I would put in Merrill and uh, Kulak. What about, uh, sorry, Charles, take it, buddy. You've got Gustafson coming out, I imagine, then, yeah? Oh, yeah. I think he would, I would sit him maybe the whole series unless some sort of disaster yeah. happens. 
Yeah. Do you miss Vic Mete at all? I do. I can't say that a lot of his play was like very inspired this year for the Habs, but I do think it was really bad asset management to just yeah. have him on waivers and get claimed by like a team in your division. And he's going to, you know, he played like 20 plus minutes a game for Ottawa those uh, last few games. So I feel like that might come back to bite us in the ass. And he's right. a puck moving defenseman. That would be nice to have when we didn't have to give him up for anything. Yeah. He's playing 25 minutes in Ottawa the last few games and he's playing that's, yeah, pretty that's, well. Yeah, exactly. I guess yeah. with the, with the D it's kind of interesting because it's a real philosophical kind of thing that they're going for. They're like, no, we want big, we want tough, we want punishing. And I'm, it's going to be interesting to see if that is the route to go against this Leafs team. Like, when you have guys like Edmondson and Sherrod like going up against Mar- Marner and Matthews, does that make you happy because you think <laughs> that they'll punish them into s- something? Or do you think it's like, oh, I'm worried that they're going to get turned? I would say I have more fears that they're going to get turned. I also feel like you're kind of at you know, you're like begging for mercy with Matthews and Marner anyways. So I don't mind having big guys who over the course of a series, maybe get them to be a little hobbled and and haggard and stuff. Uh, I just think like, you know, I don't know what you would do to defend that anyway. So I don't know if that it's a weird move when everyone in the NHL is going the opposite of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hobbled and haggard is a uh, great strategy to go up against talent yeah i mean when you can't you know you can't uh beat them uh cross check physically beat them yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. cross check these the real bastards hobbled in the haggard double h yeah i did like that john merrill pickup his all the 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 stats nerds think he's the shit and i think all the games i've seen him play in montreal i was like this guy is smooth as butter and he looks like he sells cigarettes outside a convenience store. So I love both those things about him. Yeah, I would say I hate when a athlete's look makes me like them even more because it's so irrelevant <laughs> to how they play, but he does look cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind so much when it's like a you're like, I'm going to look a bit weird on purpose because fuck it, I'm an athlete. Who cares? I always right. enjoy that. I'd like um, it, but then there was that guy... This is baseball, but on the San Francisco Giants, who was like really obsessed with changing his appearance all the time. I think his name was Brian Wilson. He was a closer. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a closer and uh, the beard guy, right? Yeah, yeah the beard guy. Yeah. He like made it his entire. He like had a T-shirt of it and stuff. That was a bit yeah. much for me. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're John Merrill and you have a little mustache and a mullet, that's cool. Oh yeah. He looks like he runs a like one of the Cabela's places and sells hunting equipment to me. John Merrill. Oh yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. I could see that. Yeah, fishing fishing supplies mostly. Yeah, yeah. and cigarettes, individual cigarettes. If you're cool. Yeah, Lucy's. <laughs> Lucy's. <laughs> Speaking of Lucy's, uh, over on this series, what's your prediction? Are you thinking Winsies or Lucy's? Oh. I'm scared of stuff biting me in the ass, so I'm going to say they're going to – no, they're going to win. I can't the even Habs are going to win? Yeah, come on. What am I going to say? No? <laughs> See, 
I'm I think a it, bit of yeah, yeah I'm conflicted because I think the Leafs are going to win, but I know that there's like just because I think the Leafs are going to win, it's still a hockey, right? So there's still even if the Leafs are heavily favored, there's still like a 35 percent chance, which is not insignificant at all. In fact, totally. there might be more than that. Like that's a one in three chance that I can't talk to like 15 <laughs> people in my life, yourself included, for two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and you know, it's playoffs, and Habs have this sort of recent history of being like an eighth or seventh seed or you know the lower seed and then sort of upsetting the top seed so it's and all the pressures on toronto basically too like if montreal loses that's what was expected so it's not like uh you know no one's gonna be like shocked that that happened whereas toronto they lose maybe one game then like the heat is on and that kind of stuff so well let me ask you an upsetting question montreal wins why uh why did they win what happened, do you think? Carey Price what? Carey played Price. amazing. And they were able to find those four lines, those four forward lines, that was a difference, that they had the depth and all four lines were kind of rolling. Do you have any part of you that Price has been so-so this year and Jake Allen, besides the last little stretch, has been really, really great. And he also has a great playoff save percentage. Him and Price have the same playoff percentage, uh, save percentage I was looking at. And, and they're both really good. That scares the honest shit out of me, if I'm being honest with you. Um, is there any part of you that, like, how many games does Price have to pooch before you're like, I'd rather see Jake Allen play? I think you definitely have to start Price. And if he literally, you know, if he plays like shit in that first game and the second game we go down one or two nothing, or I guess I'd say two nothing, one nothing isn't really fair, but two nothing and it's like first period or whatever, I would pull him and put Allen in. Like you give him a shot, but then it's also like we have four games to, you know, win to get this to get this over with. So we don't want to waste any of that on price is streaky and when he's shitty it's unfortunate but uh yeah i would give him one and a half games let's say five period leash yeah exactly five period leash what's your confidence levels Uh, 35 like when you said 35 percent, that sounds about right no i mean in carry price himself yeah, that sounds about right, too. I'm fascinated by like Yeesh. the Canadians, the Canadians fan base reaction to like, as soon as you sign a goalie for any more than $6 million, it's always like, okay, here we and go. I don't even think it's the, like, you know, it's not the, the price of the contract. It's the length of the contract. Mm-hmm. Like that is the thing that is, the most uh, albatrossy about it and will kind of maybe fuck them over in the long run. Yeah. But um, I think there was no way they couldn't sign him to that. There's no way they could have lost him as a free agent. And so it's kind of a thing that had to happen and he is really good in the playoffs. So let's hope he earns that. I've got a question about that uh, back to the contract. Do you think at all, like uh, most of the, I call them falsified concerns about the caps hell is or the, the, the Habs cap hell story is all about the price contract. Don't you just think there's ample opportunity to LTIR this guy into the friggin' moon once it comes along? Like give it his, give it his injury history. It wouldn't be shocked to see one of those like, Hey buddy, uh, sorry about your hips, back and legs. It's been a good run, but 
I would, but there's no, from my memory, there's no real knowledge of the Habs doing that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's going to get cracked down on a bit more, especially with that Kucherov and Tampa Bay thing (laughs) kind of outraging everybody right now. Um, So I don't know in five years from now if that stuff will be like as easy to sort of, you know, put away and not have to deal with, but I just, and I think, you know, he's a very prideful guy, it seems like. So I don't know if he would even be wanting to do that. I think he's like, no, I am the best goalie and I need to play. Like, I wonder if that's and the you're mindset of moving the to Columbus. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's say there's. I doubt they could do that. That would be, I mean, <laughs> feel bad, but that might be good. <laughs> well, no shenaniganery aside, if you were to, if the contract has to be played out, is there any part of you, any part at all, that's like the expansion draft is coming? If I can get Seattle to take Carey mm-hmm. Price, uh, we do not have to give up an asset to get out of this contract. Do you consider that, or is it too fucked up to even think about? You're wincing. I yeah, love it. That's where I know. That's where like sports and the business of it just really become so not fun. But uh, I don't know if it would be the worst thing ever if he got picked up, and then we would have Allen and Primo, I guess, going into the next year. Right. Because not only do you have Jake Allen, who has been one of the more underrated goalies in the league for a while, signed to a good contract, which I was so wrong about. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, Caden Primo's also been pretty promising, and he's thrown in some good performances even this year already. I mean, he hasn't been perfect, but he's, he you know, one, he's yeah. got some promise, and he's got a pedigree. Mm-hmm. And it's just so tricky, man. It's, uh, it's, but on the other end, the Leafs are like, not only are we not starting Freddie Anderson, people are terrified that he's going to play a game. Scared I, as, shitless. As a Habs fan, I would love him to start. <laughs> I want oh. him way more than Jack Campbell. I think goaltending is so much about mentality and so much about like literally your confidence and stuff. And Jack yeah. Campbell has been playing out of his mind recently. I mean, this whole season basically. So I'm more scared of him by a lot than Freddie Anderson. So I think that's actually quite a strength for and an advantage even maybe for the Maple Leafs over the Habs. I don't know, man. I'm it's... trying to reverse jinx, but <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I pray that won't work. I mean, actually, I'll counteract that right now. Montreal is an undefeatable team, oh, so just put that the, the ultimate oh, reverse jinx. Damn. Clip that, <laughs> <laughs> please don't. I'll I'll sue for libel. Um, where where are you at on the Josh Anderson experience? He's signed for five point six million dollars for the next uh, seventy Seven years. years. Yeah. Um, really had a hard time understanding that contract when it was signed because it was before he even played a game with us. But I really like him a lot. And he's, I don't remember the last time the Habs had a guy who was like this big and this fast, you know? Yeah. Uh, And he plays like the most fun kind of, I mean, especially in the playoffs, you'd think this really suits him more physical style and stuff. Uh, I really like him. And I, again, any contract that long is so hard to foresee no problems with in the next seven years with a guy who had that shoulder injury that kept him out almost all of last year. But uh, I like him and I am excited for him to be on the team for a while longer. And he's younger than it seems maybe seven years. He'll be like, I don't know, 33-ish, something like that. Who's your most underrated Hab? 
who does not get enough credit from the rest of the country? And I'd also like to ask uh, in a darker sense, and you could uh, answer whichever one first as you'd like, and I'll take multiple answers if you'd prefer. <laughs> but underrated Hab and overrated Hab. Underrated Hab, I honestly might say Suzuki. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know how much, how other t- fan bases think of him and stuff, but he really, really, really fell in love with him in the playoffs last year. And then at the beginning of this year, he was so on fire and he's so good two way, like the best, like two way prospect I, I've seen us have in a long time. Um, and I think he's like, yeah, the best center prospect we've had since I've been a fan. Um, and then most overrated Hab. I would imagine people think Weber or Price are our best players. So I would say Weber probably, unfortunately. Shocking. That I, I mean, just, Weber. This yeah. playoffs, I think, is going to make a big difference between how Weber is perceived. I think in Montreal, because it just feels like it's starting to crack. I mean, I'm not mm, saying that yeah. Dion Phaneuf and, and Shea Weber are the same caliber of player. Shea Weber's much better. But there was a time that people were like, "Nope, Phaneuf's good. Phaneuf's good. Everything's fine. Everything's fine." And then all of a sudden, it was just like, "No, God, we're in this long ass contract with this guy." That right. I would say also Weber's just been good for longer as well than Phaneuf was. Like Phaneuf totally. was such a firework and then flamed out kind of thing. And then Weber's like this long lasting candle that really seems to be <laughs> at the end of its wick almost. And there's still like yeah, five years left on a eight and a half million dollar contract or whatever. That is maybe the, the most beautiful poetic. description. Yeah. yeah, that's like a poem about <laughs> the toughest, meanest man in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I... What I am encouraged about with Weber is all the stuff you hear from the teammates and everything. And they're like, he's the toughest guy. He's the best captain. He's the leader, all that stuff, which obviously you can't really see on the ice when he's like taking a slap shot that misses the net again and all that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I I think he he's probably a little bit overrated at this point. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, let me, I'll ask you a couple more things before we let you go. Uh, Montreal last year, I mean, it's weird, but the playoffs last year were so fucked up because Montreal was actually way out of the playoffs, but they got in on the play-in and then they won a round. So to me, I almost forgot that I was like, oh, Montreal had a good year last year. But then I looked, I was like, oh, no, they didn't. (laughs) So what's so much, they just, you know, caught caught fire in a five-game series and Price just destroyed the Penguins, Mm -hmm. which was wild. But uh, what makes the Habs better this year? Definitely depth, both forwards and defense and goalie. Um, so, yeah, depth all around. And I think hopefully experience from last year. Like Suzuki, Cook, and Yemi had never played in the playoffs before. And now with that experience and them, again, like really showing up for it and kind of saving their – reputation i would say in that playoffs and elevating the reputation like i think depth and experience and i guess all the old guys they got this year Corey perry and eric stahl and edmondson who has the stanley cup and all that kind of stuff okay what what are you afraid of what are you not afraid of and what do you think is going to annoy you about the toronto maple leafs and this is more of a question of who rather than what Right, and so who meaning like you? Or... Yes, me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> um, who am I afraid of? I mean, you know, how could it not be Matthews Marner? 
truly when I see Matthews like shoot the puck, I just assume it's going in because it's just an unbelievably <laughs> accurate and fast shot like I've never seen before. On That's a wrist wild. shot, it's like a somebody, it's like a Shea Weber slap shot basically. Um, and then Galchenyuk too, because he's so you know, and with the Habs when he was there, there's like those little tastes where you can see his skill and he's like so can be amazing with the puck and deke around everybody and score this highlight reel goal. I just really hope that he has his defensive lapses and sort of, you know, gets inside his head or something and has a mental breakdown. That would be great. Um, <laughs> Sports are the best. I yeah, hope this 20 has a mental breakdown. <laughs> against people for no reason. <laughs> Um, forget the other questions. But that, those are the people I'm afraid of: Matthews, Marner, Galchenyuk, I guess, Tavares. Galchenyuk, interesting. I'm, they're not sure if he's going to play. His defensive yeah. lapses are still there, but he has had a little bit of spite to him and some glimpses. And I think story-wise, there's no more fun vengeance on either. Team. Yeah, there's totally. I think he maybe because I only watched the games against the Habs, but he always kind of stuck out to me as playing well in those Leafs games against the Habs. Um. And I'm just uh, Jack Campbell too. Again, I think with the hot hand that he has, it's hard to lose that as a goalie. So I I hope that they just uh, I hope he also him and Galchenyuk have a joint mental breakdown <laughs> together. <laughs> it's contagious. A mental breakdown is sweeping the room. Yeah, exactly. That's very interesting to hear about Jack Campbell because uh, it's weird to know. I'm like, I don't. I think this guy has been so good. I mean, in a very small sample, but for ever since he's been a Leaf and even in his years with the Kings, I was like, this guy's for real. But he's getting his shot very late in his career, so it's interesting. All right, I we have two minutes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I remember him on the USA World Junior Team, and he was yeah. incredible. Yeah, he, he was, was the in next Justin Pogi. Oh, no, in the sense that he's going to be a bootlegger model? Bad vibes, no, no. bad vibes. No, no, I just remember Justin Pogge also having an amazing World Juniors and then not obviously really amounting to much in the NHL. Well, that's why we traded for, uh, we traded uh, Tuka Rask because Justin Pogge had it all locked Crump. up. Being a Leafs yeah. fan rules, I recommend it thoroughly. <laughs> uh, okay, last thing real quick. Who do you have in the Jets-Oilers and in how many games? Okay, I think the Jets in oh. six games. Jets and six. Yeah. Nick Nemiroff, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I stole that from Oh Hello.